Year of Bad Sex, written and read by me, Jonathan Izard. Part 39. I blame Elvis. No, I do. If his song hadn't been leaking out of a window as I walked home that afternoon, things might have turned out differently. I'd never have had that experience with the Jolly Giant. It's now or never, come hold me tight, kiss me my darling, It was a short stroll from the tube to my flat. The walk took me past a few shops, restaurants, offices and some residential flats, plus a family planning clinic, a five-a-side football pitch and a sex club. Yes, the vault. My initial titillation when I moved to the area had mellowed to a milder curiosity, a more academic than tantalising wonder. I was indifferent to it, slightly snooty, to be honest. Oh, that place, yeah, some rather sad, desperate guys go there for grubby sex. I used to think I might go one day, but, um... So why, on this occasion, as I strolled past, did my interest spark anew? I could only think it was the sound of the music wafting from a first-floor window above the new barber's shop, hair apparent. Tomorrow will be too late, it's now or never, my love will mm-hmm. my love will I hummed along under my breath, relishing that high note on love that I couldn't quite reach. So satisfying was the chorus that I had another go at it, and so familiar that I wasn't really listening to what I was singing, until I got to Tomorrow Will Be Too Late, exactly as I looked up and saw I was right outside the vault. It's now or never. Elvis was right. I'd been dithering about going in there for so long. There was no good reason to delay another twenty-four hours. Soon Pedro and I would probably... Well, possibly, if that's what we both... Anyway, tonight was the night. There was no doubt in my mind. I say, no doubt. There was plenty of doubt. Could I? Should I? Would I? My love won't wait. Not sure about that, as some great philosopher put it. What's love got to do, got to do with it? As soon as I got home, I checked the website for the dress code that night. It was anything goes. Not a clothed night. Not a sports gear night. Not a naked night. A whatever feels right night. Obviously, it would be bollock naked for me. That was my preferred option. Usually, any rush of enthusiasm dies in me as swiftly as a sinking souffle, but on this occasion I stayed, as it were, up for it. Then a thought occurred to me. I should let Pedro know I was going. Then another thought occurred to me. I should invite Pedro too. Then another thought occurred to me. He'd think I was a filthy slut. Then another thought occurred to me. He already knows that. Then another thought occurred to me. I'm overthinking this. I sent him a message. Hi, baby. You know we've talked about the vault and going there one day. It was a jittery half an hour waiting for his response. What did those blue ticks mean that he had received it? Read it? I always forget. Had he read it, been horrified, and was now mulling over how to respond? Jonty, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Or he could be in the middle of giving a talk about El Greco, or making sure some exhibition was, um, well hung. 
My phone gave a bing. I snatched it up so quickly it slipped about in mid-air and I had to use all my juggling skills to get it nestled in my palm. Wow, he'd written. Did you go last night? Tell me all about it. Oh, I wish you'd let me know. I'd have gone with you, defo, with kisses. I suddenly realised how much I loved this man. Far from being judgmental, he wanted in on the action. Perhaps he'd been listening to Elvis too. And yes, I do realise I've used the word love. I called him and told him my plan. He was keen to come with me. First, he had to make some decisions about how to light a Roy Lichtenstein. With petrol and matches, I said. He giggled. We were both excited about this. I had a bit of time before Pedro would arrive, so I did some planning. A naked night in underground vaults, so presumably dark. Yes, of course, that would add to the provocative vibe. In which case, I didn't need to do too much prep. So, after I had something to eat... All I did was just sit on the toilet, put hair removal cream on my shoulders, cut my toenails, cleaned and filed my fingernails, trimmed my hair, my chest hair, my beard, my underarm hair and also my pubes, tweezing out a few grey ones. I took nail scissors to my unruly eyebrows, attacked and removed stray nostril hairs and anything protruding from my ears, from which I also wiggled the wax with a cotton bud, sorry earth, and changed the diamond stud in my ear for something larger, had a shower, taking a loofah to my elbows and knees, scrubbed the cream and any hairs off my shoulders, sprayed deodorant and an expensive perfume over me, because even anosmics need to smell good to others, put some drops into my red eyes and dabbed some skin tone foundation on the dark circles under them. That's all. It only took an hour and a half. But I didn't go out the bathroom. When Pedro arrived, he looked at me and said, So, are you going to get ready? I explained this was the finished article. He laughed and said, I know, you look fabulous. We discussed in great detail what was permitted and what was forbidden. We saw things along exactly the same lines. We'd made no declaration of exclusivity. Both had the right to fool around, but could check with the other in the moment if it was OK, and would certainly need to discuss and analyse later what I did, what he did, and how we felt about it. There might be long and possibly difficult sofa talks. We also decided on our own dress code. Naked. It had to be naked. We'd met at the Naked Swim, had a naked party penciled in, were intending to attend naked yoga together. If we were doing this, it had to be balls out. We had a few glasses of Dutch courage and took half a blue pill each. Just to, um... Yeah, 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 I know. So, um, yeah. Shall we, um... Yes. Let's. It turned out that nerve from the Netherlands or elsewhere wasn't necessary. We walked the 200 metres and went down the steps with their magenta neon lights to a door with a glass panel next to it, at chest height, so I had to bend to communicate as if submissively. We paid our small entrance fee and the door swung open for us. Inside we were given plastic buckets for your clothes and a brief explanation of what was where. Changing room, bar, lounge, smoking area, tunnels, more tunnels, vaping is not allowed in any part of the club but presumably anonymous fucking was. We went inside and saw a dozen or so guys standing around a large curved bar that bulged into the main room. It would have held a hundred easily, so the air was of an Eastern European regional airport on a winter night at 4am when all flights have been grounded. Misery, poverty and despondency. Men clutching bottles of beer and shiftily eyeing each other. Not a great start, but things 
can only get better. We went to the changing area and took off our clothes. All of our clothes. I had a moment's wobble, and I don't just mean my waistline. Did you see? I said to Petro. There was nobody naked. Everybody had clothes on. And in hideous fabrics, he said. No, but I'm wondering, should I keep a jock strap on? I had one under my jeans, unusually not going commando, in anticipation of just this moment's doubt. No, let's do this, said the man who had been to his first naked event weeks earlier, and who was often saying he was out of condition or would just have a rice cracker and some low-fat cottage cheese. I had another rush of love and respect for Pedro. What a guy! We left our baskets at the counter, fluffed up our cocks with a discreet tickle. Well, I did. I expect he did too. What man wouldn't? And stepped out into the deserted departure lounge in just our trainers. The air of desperation was palpable in all but the two of us. We had each other to lean on, hide behind, touch, joke to, and share feelings of superiority with. We collected our free drinks at the bar, the management was clearly desperate too, and began our meander. I felt like Liz and Phil at the Chelsea Flower Show, although the only peonies on display were our own. We ambled through the bar into another large and mostly empty room, where a few people sat on black leatherette sofas. Ooh, that's got to be sweaty. Waiting for a different flight, I suppose, but equally glum. The air was a touch chilly. I mean that both as a metaphor and a weather report. And if there was music playing, it was not at a volume that might have encouraged dancing and creating a party atmosphere. It was at don't upset the neighbours level. We progressed through that lounge and into a narrower area, where it seemed they were waiting for an electrician to come and replace the bulbs. Really, it was rather gloomy. You could hardly see your hand in front of... Oh! Someone stroked my ass as we walked past. It wasn't unexpected, and I couldn't decide if it was welcome or not. We passed a few figures lurking in the shadows, and glanced into low-ceilinged cubbyholes, the vaults themselves, which were so badly lit it was impossible to tell what was happening in there, if anything. I hoped Pedro's Liechtenstein was better served than this. At the end of the corridor we came to another larger area where we could stand and drink for a while. Someone touched my bum, I said. Just the one, he said. I had three gropes. I felt quite jealous. We found a place to sit on a sort of plinth or dais made of black-painted wooden boxes, the sort of stage that would be erected at school for a performance. Well, there was no performance here, and nothing was being erected. The words of Dr. Mikos came fleetingly to mind. There are these low tables, like a stage. You can position yourself there and guys come along, if they like what they see. So this was where he reckoned he had contracted his chlamydia, the aggressive cerevar, from receiving five or six loads. I was in the process of planting my naked bum there when I felt something underneath me, next to my skin. I stood up again and, with a quick swipe, brushed it onto the floor. It was too dark to see, but I knew it was a used condom. I just knew. Or else someone had left an overboiled leak there earlier. Perfectly possible. Pedro didn't see my swipe, and I said nothing. We sipped our drinks, G&Ts, such classy sluts, and observed the inaction, barely able, <laughs> barely, <laughs> to hold a conversation. I think we were both in mild shock, not at the sleaze and filth on display, on the contrary, at the shabby seediness. It was all so, so banal. 
As my eyes adjusted to the low lighting, I was able to make out more of what was on offer. I saw quite a few men. If I'd seen them online, I'd have swiped left on all of them. Maybe they would on me too. Everyone else was dressed in something, either T-shirt or jeans or a jock strap or, least appealing of all, white underpants. Not even boxers. Why fronts? Please. We were still the only naked ones, and I could see without a scintilla of doubt that Pedro was the hottest man there. And, if I may say this without blowing my own trumpet, I might just have been the second hottest. Speaking of blowing trumpets, it wasn't all inaction. Pedro pointed out to me that across the other side of the room, on another narrower piece of block, sat a man in his sixties with an expression of confused wonder. He was, how can I put this, not a slim man, not a fit man. He was a giant of a man, Jabba the Hutt's bigger brother. Below his many chins, a body seemed to flow all around him, like lava released from a fissure, in rolls and mounds and hillocks. Strike hillocks. Hills. But he had a nice face. He looked like a jobbing actor who would play the kindly neighbour in a sitcom, or a jolly shopkeeper in a Dickens adaptation, maybe take the role of Santa Claus at a local department store in a Christmas grotto. And there was certainly someone trying to reveal the contents of his sack. The other guy was on his knees, and we could only see the back of his head as it bobbed up and down. The jolly giant was somewhat discombobulated, as if he found the attention a bit much, and wasn't sure how to stop it without causing offence. He looked over the bobbing head between his ham-like thighs, gazing at the rest of us, as if seeking someone to release him from the horns of his awkward and unwelcome dilemma. I don't think I'd ever felt sorry for someone getting a blowjob before. It was like seeing your granddad unwittingly caught up in some silly parlour game and realising he needed another family member to step in and say brightly, OK, well, now it's Uncle Derek's turn. But nobody did. We all looked away. Not my responsibility, mate. And anyway, how come the least attractive man here, in my humble opinion, obviously, is the only one getting blown? And then this jolly giant did an extraordinary thing. He put his hands together in prayer, his fingertips gently resting on his lips, and closed his eyes. Now he looked like a bishop, whose technique for hearing confession had taken an unorthodox twist. Or, these days, perhaps this was standard technique in the Catholic Church. Having finished his prayer, he then, get this, he then crossed himself. Yes, the whole finger-up-down-left-right jobby, while still looking around for, I have to say, sucker. Still, nobody responded. Jolly Giant, from what I could tell at a distance of some twenty feet in the gloom, with my sightline interrupted by the intermittent passing of bodies, had a sort of light-hearted expression, as if he knew this was absurd and he was playing to the crowd. But it must have felt like a midweek matinee in Glasgow. The crowd gave no response. Pedro and I sat on our plinth, feigning an off-hand nonchalance, but sophisticated superiority wasn't easy to achieve under the circs. "'Shall we?' he said, indicating the corridor we'd taken to get here. "'The other way?' as if inviting me to take a turn around the garden to admire his hollyhocks. "'Of course. Why not?' "'Piss elegant. I think that's the expression for my manner. I felt like Princess Margaret now. Actually, I bet she'd have loved it here. Perhaps she did.' 
We retraced our steps along the narrow corridor, past the vaults which still hid their inhabitants' activities from view, between a handful of men in their undies, and back to the main bar area. Two more gropes, said Pedro. Hmm. Four for me, I said proudly. I think that makes us even. We dithered, watching other people watching us. We drank a bit, stood about a bit, and chatted a bit. Jolly mild for the time of year. Your hair looks nice. Have you had it cut? Did you hear the news? Something about a mystery virus in China? And then, for want of something better to do, we returned to our perches on the end of the school stage. Really, we did try. Try to find someone there vaguely attractive, I mean. Men would pass by, look at us, clearly a couple, and move on. One or two had a word with one of us, but we dismissed them sharpish with a smile. Polite, but firm. Well, not that firm. One man paused and positioned himself in front of us, looking from me to Pedro and back to me. He bent low to speak. "'I can't decide which one I want,' he said, with a playful leer. Then, fixing his eyes on me with a drunken intensity, he enunciated carefully, "'Have you been despunked yet?' Either unfamiliarity or disbelief led me to say, "'Um, I beg your pardon?' "'Have you been despunked yet?' There was really nothing in my childhood education or later adult experience to prepare me for this question. "'Um, yes, thank you,' I said at my most cordial, and turned to Pedro to engage in an urgent discussion of something, anything. The other guy shrugged and moved on, not offended in the slightest. He'd get what he wanted later, I had no doubt. "'Jesus,' I said to Pedro, despunked. We had a laugh. Oh, that felt good. Look out, he mouthed with a glance over my right shoulder. I felt the earth move. Well, the wooden box creaked and tilted. I looked around. Jolly Giant had sat down next to me. Oh, shit. I intended to turn a blind eye. Perhaps he was just heading to the bar and needed a little break on his way to catch his breath. No, that wasn't what he wanted to catch. He put his hand on my thigh. I felt it there, cool and clammy, like a dollop of halibut thwacked down fresh off the fishmonger's slab. Hard to ignore. I looked down. It was halfway between knee and crotch, and heading north. I turned, and was face to grinning face with him. I gave my most courteous expression of abstention, a sort of apologetic simper, and then I picked up his hand and handed it back to him, reluctant to place it directly on his own flesh, but releasing it to hover in mid-air over the rolling landscape of his belly. I noticed, and I really, really wish I hadn't, that his own dick was hidden from view by the folds of his gut. I turned back to Pedro. Quick, talk to me. Hmm. Not your type, then, he said. Bastard. Jolly Giant moved in for a second attempt. If at first you don't succeed, take no for an answer, goddammit. This time the Hand of Doom landed not equidistant between Patella and my fella. It was thigher up the high. I mean, I mean, higher up the thigh. I was beginning to hyperventilate. I picked up the halibut again and passed it back to its owner. This time my face may have given away more of my true feelings. Jolly Giant smiled in an avuncular way and said something I didn't catch. 
I imagine it was a compliment or something gracious, and so I softened my face into what I hoped was an appropriate visual message of no hard feelings, ha ha ha, and turned away before any further conversation could develop. As Pedro and I began a much-needed chat, so, Jonty, what's your new boyfriend's name? I felt the earth move again as Jolly Giant heaved himself up and headed off to pastures new. The next time I looked over my right shoulder, prompted once again by Pedro, I saw someone on all fours further along the platform. He was being fucked by a bigger, older guy, and about six others were watching, some masturbating. It might even have been Dr. Mikos on his hands and knees. I could have called out, Hi, how are you doing? No, no, no don't worry, I didn't. At least this was what we'd come for. The X-rated, hot and horny, man-on-man action, the sleaze, the porn, the filth. Shall we go? One of us said. What took you so long? said the other. We collected our baskets of clothes. Are you going already? said the man, handing them over. Yes, we, um, we, we, uh, yes, we, we, um, yes, we're going. First time here? Mm Mm-hmm. Did you enjoy yourselves? Was it all right? It was all right, I said. It's so quiet, he said. This bloody virus. Everyone's so scared. Really? It's not that bad, is it? It would soon pass, surely. See you again, boys, he said as we left. We smiled without comment. The vault, it was revolting. It took us less than two minutes to get to my flat. That night, we didn't fuck. That wasn't the word for it. We made the L word. And there was another tune in my head. Not by Elvis this time. Hold me like you'll never let me go. My Year of Bad Sex is written and read by me, Jonathan Izard. Music and studio production are by Andy Mills. My Year of Bad Sex is a Protocol production. <laughs>